This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the beautiful time we had in song uh, and in in praise and in prayer. And we ask you, Lord, uh, that you would minister your word into our hearts and into our lives. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's a couple of wonderful things in Titus there that uh, we can take great hope in and uh, one of those is the identification that um, that Paul gives to Jesus as God and Saviour and so that is uh, one of the, the great uh, statements that Paul makes in that little passage, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. And in order that people would understand that and not make any mistake as to who this is, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who is zealous for good works. And so one of the aspects of salvation is that salvation would lead you and I into lives of holiness and righteousness, into lives that are set apart from sin and that are a testimony in this world of that new life that we found in Jesus Christ. And this is this is a really important part because oftentimes we get that mixed up in the Christian life and we forget that the primary calling of God, uh, as it says in verse 11, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright, godly lives in this present age. So here's our primary call as believers. The knowledge of, of doctrine and theology and various different things follows that initial aspect of being born again. And once we're born again, once we come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Saviour, then we, over time, are exercised by Scripture. We're trained by Scripture to learn to walk in holiness that we we will bring glory to the Lord and that we are uh, concurrently with that at, at the same time that we are looking forward to his return. Revelation uh, 20 came up in some discussion and, and I did a bit of study because there's a question around one of the verses and uh, it speaks of or it shows that there are Two separate destinations when it comes to resurrections in Scripture. And the Bible speaks of two resurrections and generally known as the first resurrection and the second resurrection. Funny that, you know. Um, Now, the first resurrection, generally speaking, is a grouping of uh, events that leads to blessings for those who are incorporated in the first resurrection. The second resurrection is a grouping of events as well, not just a singular event, that leads to judgment. And 
uh, you would see this if you turn to John chapter 5, you'd see an, an early uh, allusion to this, not illusion. Jesus said in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so when we look at this, we would think that this is a singular calling to all people who are in the tombs and that they'll be called out and at the same time some will be uh, taken to blessing and some to judgment. That's how it appears there, but this is part of the unfolding nature of the revelation of Scripture, that Scripture adds to itself further understanding in other places. And so uh, it's important for us to understand that that even in a text such as this, there are at least two destinations spoken of and at least two events spoken of. And so when the scripture speaks of a resurrection, just as that passage indicates, we could ask the question of a resurrection to where? That would be a valid question to ask. And in verse uh, 29, the Lord himself uh, identifies that those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so it's the Lord who identifies that with being resurrected, there is a resurrection to life or to judgment. We could position those words against each other and we could say to life or death. So there is a raising from the dead to eternal life or eternal death. And this is an important thing for us to remember. And basically the millennial reign is a gap, uh, millennium meaning a thousand, uh, it's, or a thousand years, uh, it's a gap of a thousand years between the end of the first resurrection and the beginning of the second resurrection. And I say the beginning of the second resurrection because there are a couple of stages in that. So, the first resurrection, just remember, is a remember is a resurrection unto reward. And it happens in stages. So to help understand that, um, I've put together a little table. Now there's a lot of information in this table, a lot of information. So at the end, uh, you'll be able to take a photograph of the table. Um, There's only like one slide after it and I'll I'll go back to it and leave it up there and you can take a photograph because there are a lot of scriptures in this table uh, that you will be able to go and look at. Some of them we'll uh, look at today as well. So, alright. So, across the top of the table we're going to have these little headings, uh, order, the order in which the events happened or will happen, uh, the column entitled which, um, refers to which resurrection, um, which will only have a singular word under it, either first or second. The timing of the events, those involved, who is being resurrected or was resurrected, a description of the event, and then the... Scriptures, some of the scriptures, which refer to or teach us about this event. And I say some of the scriptures because uh, there are many and there's no doubt with my limited knowledge uh, 
Uh, I've missed some of them. Uh, hopefully uh, the ones that I have in here are correct. So take a photograph at the end and check them out uh, because we're not going to have time to go through them all here this morning. But we will get through some of them. And if we don't get finished um, within a reasonable couple of hours, um, then uh, we'll, we'll come back to it uh, again. Alrighty, so... The order is simple. You can write down there 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. There you go. Uh, so we've got 10 uh, rows to work our way across. Um, so the first one pertains to the first resurrection. Remember the column marked which is referring to which resurrection it speaks of. And so the, the reason why this is important is because you'll see that when, when we identify the first resurrection and separate that from the second resurrection, we can see that some events happen as part of the first resurrection even though they're individual events within the first resurrection as a whole. And so uh, the timing of this is the third day. Who do you think we might be speaking of? Jesus, the Messiah. And the description of this is the resurrection of the Messiah the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep? Now, one of the prominent passages for this would be 1 Corinthians 15. So if you turn there to 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see this description of Jesus, a wonderful description. Paul, speaking of the resurrection of the dead. So go back over the passage to get the context. Um, Come up later on and you can take a photograph or you can take a a photograph of the screen here if it's clearer um, and that'll, that'll help you. But in verse 20 he says, Paul says, but in fact. So as always we have to ask the question, why is the word but inserted there and it's inserted to highlight something about the statements beforehand. So if you go back to verse 18 uh, or verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So if the dead are not going to be raised, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. This is an important point because scripture indicates to us that death has no power over the Lord because of his sinlessness. So even though he physically died and was buried in a tomb, death was not able to hold onto him. And what's interesting is that we will see the final resurrection is a resurrection of death and Hades, which are going to be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. And that will be the final overcoming of death itself into its final place of destruction. So that's part of the background of that. Then, uh, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits that first part of a harvest that uh, you'll see when you when you go to the store and uh, you know we've all been convinced for health reasons to buy extra virgin olive oil and uh, it's taken from the first season of olives each each season the first fruits of the olives that come to the tree and come to being ripe uh, taken because of the sweetness uh, and the the you know the the quality of the oil and then the trees will continue to fruit and later more and more of those olives are going to be taken but they're not the first fruits of that season and so Jesus was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep he's been raised from the dead the first fruit of the resurrection Jesus is the first of that. Now, 
um, John chapter 20. If we head over to there as well, John chapter 20. John gives a description of some events of the disciples and and, uh, Mary and heading to the tomb. Uh, In verse 1, it says that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter. So there's a little bit of information there. Um, Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, it's an interesting thing actually, as a side note to this supposing him to be the gardener. Uh, Jesus in this glorified state, but it indicates that there is something very, very human about Jesus uh, in the state in which he is in, in terms of an appearance, because the gardener is just the common man. And this brings us back to the prophecies of Jesus as a commonly appearing man, that he had no... Uh, beauty that we should behold him and and I, I I love this image and I have this image in my head of Jesus as a a very rugged individual in so many ways and a man who withstood so much persecution of his own life uh, this is this is not a girly man and I don't know if you've met many uh, gardeners and landscapers but you know one thing that shows them apart is their hands isn't it you know and and uh, that's something that just shows them apart because they're working class hands and, uh, you know, I just that's something that appeals to me about this response of Mary. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. He said to her, why are you weeping? So she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where he is. And I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. So there's something in how he says this. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced this to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So there's a number of other verses listed in the box there uh, surrounding this. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke. Uh, Colossians as well. Let's turn over to Colossians. We probably should have went there from Corinthians. It would have been uh, an economy of scale of some sort. But Colossians... 1, verse 16, we we want verse 18, but for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It's a, 
an awesome passage of scripture which speaks to us so clearly about the deity of Jesus. A, a verse or two that are not listed in there would be in Revelation chapter 1 uh, where Jesus describes himself as the first and the last, um, the alpha, the omega, uh, the beginning, the end, uh, he that uh, was alive and died and lives again forevermore. Um, so these kinds of scriptures that all speak to the resurrection from the dead of Jesus. And we've put this in the first place because of its preeminence of importance. Because anybody who was uh, or, or will be resurrected can only be resurrected to glory because of what Jesus did. And he is the first fruits of the resurrection. So secondly, an interesting one, and it, it happens right at the same time, um, shortly after Messiah's resurrection. Matthew 27, if you turn to there, you'll see some of the Old Testament saints are resurrected. And they were possibly heralds of the hope that was in Jesus, that hope of glory, which was seen in him and revealed in him. And sometimes this passage can be a little confusing and, and there are different viewpoints of the how this verse comes together. But when, when we read scripture, you and I, generally speaking, within this room, generally, have been educated in a manner of learning that is very Greek in its process. And, and the Greek system of thought, basically, if you think of a bullet point approach to learning, that's how a Greek system of thought will go. It, it'll establish a premise and then it'll give her a number of reasons and a conclusion and maybe, you know, um, some other information. But it, it's very linear in its approach, going from A to B. But the Asian and Middle Eastern way of thinking is very much more of a, a circular approach to things where they're in a situation and they can describe events and happenings that are taking place and related to it, but may not be exactly in the order of events. And one example of that is here in, in this passage, um, Matthew 27, uh, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And it all sounds as if this is happening immediately, doesn't it? Right there as, as you read this. And it may have been. Verse 53, And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, when was he resurrected? Three days later. So it's, it's just a simple little phrase that's inserted in there and so I, I think that, uh, that post the resurrection of Jesus, these tombs were vacated then, as it appears to say in the text here, verse 53. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And uh, there are many questions surrounding that event that I probably cannot answer for you. Um, but uh, I, I think it is tied to the saints heralding the Messiah to the people of that city and testifying to his victory over death and to his glory and lordship over life and death itself. So uh, that is the second in the order. The third in the order of events tied again to the first resurrection 
So you can you can see that the first resurrection has stages and parts to it and, um, and so I wanted to go through this because it was clarifying to me last week as we were discussing it and I thought it might help you as well. Pre-tribulation, um, a composite of two words meaning before the tribulation, pre-tribulation. This is the church saints and this is the resurrection of the church age believers at the rapture. So this is believers who have become believers throughout the age of the church or who were believers throughout the age of the church. So some of them became believers before the age of the church and then were believers in the age of the church. We would have the apostles and the disciples among them, uh, that they became believers beforehand, and then the church was inaugurated in Acts chapter 2, and uh, on the day of Pentecost, and they lived on then into the church age. Um, Some texts, if we turn to John uh, chapter 14... Verse 3, verse 1, as Jesus is comforting them regarding the foreboding of what is to happen, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, dead, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, uh, 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians 15 as well, if we just head back there, because that passage also contains... Uh, a couple of important statements in it. I tell you this, brothers, fresh, uh, verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality and onwards from there. Then fourth in the order, still in the first resurrection, is a mid-tribulation resurrection. The two witnesses, now I know that uh, some people spiritualize the two witnesses. I have a friend who goes to a church where they spiritualize these as being the gospel and I can't remember the other. But it's a hard call to do that. Um, especially it has to spiritualize the text and allegorize the text in order to do that, which is found in Revelation 11. Uh, verses 11 and 12. 
read back over the entire text. Um, but after the three and a half days, a breath... Um, so if you go back up, you'll see in verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying and they have power over the waters to turn it into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city. And symbolically, uh, that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet And great fear fell on those who saw them, as you can imagine. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And onwards from there. So the two witnesses are in the middle of the tribulation when they are resurrected and then raptured. Also in the first resurrection but post-tribulation. Well, we'll be dealing there with people who become believers during the tribulation uh, and also with Old Testament saints. And the reason why the Old Testament saints are resurrected at that point is because (coughs) they had to wait for the church age to be completed in order to be resurrected. Um, An interesting verse that came to mind the other day was at the end of uh, Hebrews 11. It's not listed. I don't think I put it in there. Um, uh, But at the end of Hebrews 11, it says all these, he talks about those who died in their faith in the Old Testament, verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. There he's speaking to the church age. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So there, the, the word perfect can be translated to be made mature or completed. I think the Greek is talion uh, or talios. It's one of those two. Um, I can look it up for you if you desire. But it, the meaning of that word is to be brought to that place of maturity or completion And it's like the word that is used in 1 Corinthians 13 when that which is in part is done away then that which is in full replaces it and it's the same thing that it speaks about completion or maturity that the partial is done away with with the completion. And so uh, this fifth resurrection uh, is that of Old Testament saints uh, who enter the millennial kingdom. And there is Daniel 12, Isaiah 26, Ezekiel 37, a number of passages there that you can look up regarding them. And I would um, suggest that Hebrews 11:39 and 40 would um, lean toward that. It's not the main emphasis of his passage in his writing, that of their resurrection. The main emphasis of his writing in Hebrews chapter 11 is that he's urging them to a sincere and righteous walk with God because he, he follows on from that statement in verse 39 that God has, uh, and 40 that God has provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be completed. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily besets and press on uh, from there. So, um, so that's a, uh, a great com- 
a, a passage that compels us to a righteous walk with God in the light of their faith with such a partial revelation is what he's saying. They, they had this partial revelation and they were so faithful and they've gone into death waiting and they're waiting but they cannot complete the process of being matured or completed until the church is done. So, the sixth in the order, still pertaining to the first resurrection, is the, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And this is the tribulation martyrs, those who are martyred for their faith in the tribulation. They're raised to reign with the Messiah. And this is in Revelation 20. Now, um, the King James picks this up nicely, so I'll um, just go to the, the King James here. And the New King James picks it up as well. Um, and the New Living Translation also um, picks it up. There's another one called the Lexham uh, English Bible, which shows it as well. Um, but the King James does it in a, in a discreet way. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. Um, so we'll have a look at a couple of transla translations. Then I saw thrones... And seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed, and I also saw the souls of those who'd been, who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." Now, the ESV just says the rest of the dead did not come to life until after the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The Lexham and the New Living Translation puts that section in brackets, um, making it a point that relates to other information and that it's not related to the statements that are happening on each side of it. A parenthetical statement, it can be called. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, how does the King James pick this up? The King James makes a little contrast from verse 4 to verse 5 when it says that they lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years, and then in verse 5 it says, but the rest of the dead. So there is a, a contrast to the statement that he'd just been talking about where he talked about those who had been raised to reign with Christ through the millennium, the martyrs of the tribulation period, raised to reign with Christ through the millennium, and then he says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And so... The, one of the issues is that in the Greek New Testament they didn't have brackets, um, you know, there were no uh, uh, parentheses or, or different things to put around the words. You, you and I use hyphens, colons, all different kinds of things when we're writing that they don't use. Um, and so they had uh, um, put in there this word but. And when you look into the original uh, text, the word but exists there. It's not, there are many modern translations that don't include it, but it is there in the Greek and, and it is there to show a contrast between the statement that had just come before to what follows. The rest of that statement, because remember the verses have been inserted by a, by a, a priest or a, a cleric of some sort. Um, and so the statement, this is the first resurrection, pertains to this stage, this sixth part of the, res the first resurrection, uh, and it pertains to those who reign with Christ 
Um, I believe that's the context of it. Now, the NLT um, says this is the first resurrection and then it puts brackets and, and puts the, other, uh, the, the rest of the phrase in brackets after that statement um, to make it even more clearer and the lexum just has brackets around it. Um, I can show you those afterward. I can't put them up at the same time. Just There was not enough room in this slide. The seventh in the order pertains to the second resurrection. And it's at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And this resurrection is a resurrection of the false prophet and the antichrist who have been defeated by this stage and uh, Revelation 19 verse 20 says and the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who is in its presence had uh, uh, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped its image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulphur and the rest were slain by the sword that came uh, by, or came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Not a comforting sight. Um, but this is... The, the resurrection of the prophet and the antichrist into uh, the lake of fire and there they are the only inhabitants for that period um, of time. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Well, it seems to be that they're the only inhabitants through that time. Followed on the heels of that, is the conclusion of the millennial kingdom and a judgment of the Antichrist, a resurrection of him and being cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 10. Um, If we go there, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And then, finally, the conclusion of the millennial kingdom, all the unbelieving dead are resurrected and judged at the great white throne and cast into the lake of fire. Now, this the intention of, of this revelation to the churches is not so that we can fill our heads with theological knowledge. Remember when we started, we, we started with Titus who said, when Paul wrote and he said that uh, and he, he encouraged them to look forward to the appearing of Jesus Christ. Actually, there's, there's one more little bit to go if you want to hold the photos just for a sec and you'll get the whole thing. Um, and he said, with these words, exhort, rebuke, encourage. And so there, you know, what, what is there of exhortation in this for us? Well, that imagery of people being thrown into the lake of fire, being condemned forever. That should be an exhortation to us to to share the gospel with as many people as we can. We can't be responsible for people's decisions, but we should be responsible to endeavour to share the gospel. This is of way more importance to us than the order of these events of way more importance is that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all that we can. So Revelation 20, 11 to 13, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence 
Earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, which is the last stage there. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, that should be, I mean, the purpose of that is for, well, just just hang on, bro. Um, the purpose of that is not that we would be able to um, just make statements about a theological position, regardless of what it is. The purpose of Revelation and its um, message to the church about end times and had the uh, several purposes and one was to magnify the Lord Jesus because Revelation shows the deity of Jesus in a way that many other books do not. It shows Jesus as a ruler and a judge in a way that other books do not. And so the, the whole imagery of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is, is defeated in the light of uh, revelation because it shows Jesus in his awesome, righteous power and that people tremble before him. The statement that John made there in Revelation is that the, you know, the sky flees away without success from him, that it's unable to escape him. And that statement is not so much about what's happening to the sky, it's about the awesomeness of Jesus. That's, that's what it's about. And we miss this kind of thing uh, sometimes when we read the details of, of uh, various different texts And we, we have to remember that Revelation, while it brings us great hope regarding the Lordship of Christ and regarding the church and our position in Jesus Christ, our security in him and all these kinds of things, it should be a great warning to us regarding the finiteness of the time that we have the finite opportunities that we have um, in the sharing of the gospel. So, with the subject of the resurrection, I think the one of the awesome parts of the idea of the resurrection is that Scripture speaks of the resurrection regarding destination. And that is very important for us to remember that a resurrection is a resurrection to a place. And so that's that's an important thing, to great reward or to great punishment and suffering. We could you know, we could be in disputes about how exactly the lake of fire is and and um you know when Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Does that mean that um, that death and Hades ceases to exist? You know, and people talk about all these kinds of things. That's not. That's actually not the primary point. The primary point is that what Jesus makes in, uh, as we had read earlier, in um, John five. Uh, that he makes the point of eternal reward or eternal suffering and that there is a resurrection to eternal reward 
one destination, and a resurrection to eternal suffering, the second destination. That's the important point with it. Um, so, yeah, that's where I, I want to just leave that off. Um, because that's... I think that became clear as we, we were discussing it last week. So I'll put this back up um, here. I've got to flip through all of these in order to put that up for you because I don't have an easier way of doing it. Um, <laughs> but I'll put them up there and you can grab a hold of those. Obviously, that is not... complete in and of itself. There are other verses as well, but it's a snapshot and especially in the light of what we were talking about uh, last week. So, um, yeah. Father, we thank you and we praise you here this morning, Lord God. I thank you for the love of Jesus that you have displayed to us his death and his resurrection as a first fruits of all who would be resurrected to life. We thank you for this. And we thank you for that lesson that Paul gives in Corinthians that if there were no resurrection, then Christ himself had not been raised. But he has been raised, and so because he has been raised, we know that there is a resurrection for believers. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, even though we may be, even in ourselves, unclear concerning aspects of things, uh, as, is, as, as is normal, Lord, in this life, because we see through a glass dimly. But we know, Lord, that our hope is in you and that we look forward to that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au. Thank you.